Welcome to the podcast of the Tuscola County Prevention and Recovery Coalition. I am your host, Adam Salgat. Today's topic is the mental health court in Tuscola County. This court and its team of professionals offers the defendants empathy and listening to get to the root of the problem. By building a support system, their intention is to make sure the person can transform their life. To learn about this program, we will be speaking with mental health court judge Jason Bitzer. He is a former general practice attorney who has done a lot of criminal defense work. Jason was an attorney for 11 years and appointed by Governor Whitmer to be the district court judge in Tuscola County in August 2019. He has been serving as the mental health court judge for approximately the last 18 months. Well, Jason, thank you for joining me today on our podcast, talking about mental illness and the court system. As I mentioned in your bio, you've been in the judicial system for roughly 13 years. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in your span of work, what the courts have done to help with mental illness. Yeah, thank you, Adam, for having me. And I'm glad that we are talking about a topic like this because, you know, for so long, even until the last few years, I feel like mental health has carried this stigma with it. And people did not believe that mental health concerns carry the same weight as a physical illness or a physical ailment. But when you really look at the numbers and the data behind this, you'll see that more people suffer from mental illnesses or mental health concerns than we ever thought. Mm -hmm. And for too long, I think people were too shy to actually talk about those things and address them in the right way because they feel like, and I can speak from my perspective, we have this feeling of toxic masculinity sometimes as, as guys, right? Yeah. And we feel like there's this attitude that we have to be tough and we have to walk it off or just, you know, don't, buck it don't up. Do, yeah, buck up. <laughs> yep. And, you know, for so long, that was the attitude that people had. So we have individuals who are struggling silently with these mental health concerns and they're never properly addressed. And that same can be said for the legal system. I mean, so long, we did not address these needs. And I think the reason that we did not is because we didn't have the tools in place to actually do it. So when I first started uh, as a lawyer, and I started in 2008, uh, one of the things that I did is my firm had a contract with Tuscola County. Mm-hmm. And that contract provided that we would do all the court-appointed misdemeanors for Tuscola County. So when you hear the statement, uh, if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. That was us. That was you. Okay. That was us. (laughs) So we did seven, 800 misdemeanors per year, misdemeanor cases per year. But we would see the same people coming in time and time again. So it was not uncommon to see the same person three, four, five times during the course of the year. So what I would see when I would do this work is let's say somebody would come in with a a drunk driving case. There would be this instant assumption that if you have a drunk driving case, you must have a problem with alcohol. That's the assumption. So if this person is placed on probation, they would do things related to substance use. Okay. Which on the surface makes sense. Right. And, and it makes sense that you would step into that space right away and just assume they have a drinking problem or they have trouble, uh, substance use, disuse, you know, disorder. 
Yeah, exactly. And another example, we would see people come in for uh, incidents of domestic violence. So instantly we would think that person has a problem with anger. Mm -hmm. And then we would send them to counseling for managing their anger in a healthy way. Well, I would still see those people after the counseling and therapy would take place. And I know for a fact that uh, our local agencies, LIST, uh, Tuscola Behavioral Health, Mm -hmm. they do a great job, Mm -hmm. but they're only going to provide the service that we sent them there for. Okay. So when that would happen, they can only do so much, but they were never actually getting to the root of the problem. And with, with so many of these individuals, there's these mental illnesses or mental health concerns that underlie all of these other problems. And all of those concerns were being ignored because, again, we didn't have the tools to assess exactly what that person needed. We weren't going that deep. Again, we were treating the superficial wound and not the reason that the wound developed in the first place. And so that was always a source of frustration for me is why am I constantly seeing these people time and time again? Why is counseling and therapy not working? And over time, you you realize because we're not addressing the root problem. We're ignoring that. And if we're ignoring the reason that people commit crimes, ultimately, they're going to commit more crimes. Right. It makes and, sense. Um, it sounds yeah. like a little more empathy or a little bit more strategic planning and empathy and listening needed to happen. Adam, what you just said is the absolute model that we now use in okay. mental health court. I mean, it is all related to that. I mean, so you hit the nail on the head. It's actually showing people when they come through the court that we're not here just to punish. We're not here just to say you did a bad thing. Mm-hmm. We're here to actually help you. And for a lot of people, that's a hard concept. Sure. There is even more so now, a big distrust of the government. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's a controversial point. No, I, I, I would back you up. I would say <laughs> even prior to recent elections or elections, I, I don't know, you could go back 15, yeah. 20 years, it wouldn't really matter. Everybody's kind of got some suspicion. And, and I think some of that's driven home by uh, societal stereotypes in movies, television. Um, so there's a lot to combat for a court system who's trying to reach out to help. Right. So, and, and there is, and I feel like we have a lot of people who come in who naturally, even though I, I tell them when they come into mental health court, if they're accepted that we're here to help, we're here to help, we're here to help. They don't trust that we actually are. Hmm. So initially what I see when people come into mental health court, and we'll talk about the process to uh, get engaged with that court. What I see is the first few months, especially, that people don't believe that we would go to these lengths for them. And that's like one of the saddest things in the world for me to see as a judge. But I understand it because uh, too often they never had people actually believe in them. Because again, we weren't treating these things. Right. Uh, and we didn't treat these things in schools. We didn't treat these things uh, in courts. And if you never spoke about them to your family and your loved ones, then they were never addressed. So it, it takes a while for us to break through the exterior uh, of, of some people and communicate to them that we actually do care and we want to change their lives. And once we get through that, I mean, 
we're doing pretty well, but that's always one of our initial concerns is, you know, how do we break through that wall and let people know that they can trust us to help them? Sounds like these changes have been necessary. Like you mentioned from the very beginning of when you started and you would see these things or you would see these certain people come in over and over and over again. And you started really wondering, well, what's going on and and potentially why isn't treatment working? What's going on with that? It, It sounds to me like there needed to be a complete restructure of not just how the courts are doing it, but also how they're being treated and outpatient. But those two things go hand in hand, don't they? Yep. Like you've probably been working closely with these organizations to make oh, sure that. And again, Adam, I mean, that is the that is the reason that I believe mental health court works. Right. It's because because before what would happen is we would send people to therapy and counseling, mm-hmm. but there would be no communication between the therapist and the counselors in the court. So, so it's almost like, here's your assignment, yep. go, go over to organization B, organization A, here's the, it's like, here's your file and that's it. There wasn't that's really it. like a human connection between the two. Exactly. So the only thing that we used to care about is whether or not you completed counseling and therapy. Right. Which we all, we all know. I mean, let's be honest, Adam, we've all had things in our lives that we complete <laughs> where the effort is not behind it. Oh yeah, we're going through the motions, right? Yeah, I mean, not the uh, but AR reading in high school was kind of like that for me. I'll just say it. But uh, I finished the book, but you know, exactly. I mean, it was yeah. you said it. It's an assignment. It yes. was a task. Yep. So we got through the task with the least amount of work possible. Right. We got our fancy certificate. We made the judge happy, and we're off probation. Right. But but here's the problem. Did that make any difference in how that person will act moving forward? I'm, and the answer I'm, is no. I mean, it, it was statistically, not. you're probably able to tell me no. I would guess yeah. there's a handful, but statistically, it would it would probably show no, right? Like the majority is no. It is. It has been proven by, and I'm not the biggest data head. You know, I mean, I, I think it's important to look at, and you know, the stats uh, on recidivism. When you look at people who have been through this more holistic way of treating people as opposed to people who were placed on uh, traditional probation or sentenced to jail time is, and I told you this before we even started, it's, it's almost unbelievable, these stats. I mean, they're true, but it's hard to really fathom that this tweak in approaching people has made such a big difference. But the biggest difference to me before we talk about those stats is exactly what you said. Now we actually have this forum with the mental health providers. So what happens is every two weeks we have mental health court for people who are in our program. Okay. And we have something called the mental health court team. So the mental health court team is myself. It's our coordinator who's a court employee we have a representative from our community mental health, which is Tuscola Behavioral Health. Okay. We have um, a person from our drug and alcohol testing agency. We have two defense attorneys. We have a prosecutor. We have a person from Peer 360, mm-hmm. which is an amazing organization where we have people who are recovery coaches who themselves are in recovery. And they, to me, are one of the linchpins of what we do. Because again, we're communicating to individuals that, no, we do get it. And we're going to link you up with people who also get it uniquely. 
right. and have been through what you have gone through and can assist you with this process. So we have all these members of our team. And so each week for about two hours, we all talk and freely discuss the participants in our program. And we talk about the progress they've made. We talk about their therapy and counseling. So for the first time ever, and this is why it works, we hear direct insight from the therapist and counselor as to what this person is doing within the confines of those meetings. Mm -hmm. Are they making progress? If so, what? Are they not making progress? Do they need to be redirected? And now collectively as a team, we can decide how we address uh, any concerns and we tweak the formula. So we're not just doing it for show. Because before it almost felt like we're going to send you the counseling because, right. you know, we wanted to, we want you to get help, but it also looks good that we ask you to do something. Right. And I'm guessing it was very cookie cutter. And I mean, it went, when they went to counseling, I'm sure it was personal in some ways, but also yeah. cookie cutter and many others. This and sounds now, like you've built a support system. It is. And we had, we had a graduation recently for mental health court and we had the director of Pier 360 speak. And her story is one of the most remarkable stories that I've ever heard in my entire life. And that's why I feel so comfortable in referring people to that agency because she's been through so much. And yet she is this positive uh, force for people who are also struggling. And her main message during the course of her keynote speech at graduation was a support system. Because no matter how strong we think we are, one of the strongest things that we can possibly do is ask for help. And we want to make sure that we have a team of professionals that can address all the various concerns that can come up. And if we can't, we're going to find somebody who can. Right. So the reason I think mental health court works is because we have all of these stakeholders in one spot and they have one intention and one intention only, which is making sure this person can transform their life. So these are the lengths that you mentioned a little bit ago that you're now going to, you know, you, you mentioned in there, people would say you're, you're going to go to these lengths for me. So these are those lengths that you mentioned, the, the, all the support system, the ability to, you meet, I think you said every two weeks or so talking about those that are in the mental health court system to, you know, to tweak, tweak any uh, treatment or, you know, have conversations about it. And I don't know for sure if we want to step forward into the transformation that you've seen happen, or if we want to take a step back and potentially talk about those that need this, how can they get into it? So I'll kind of let you decide. I think that's, uh, I think what you just said, Adam, is the perfect place to start. Okay. So let's Uh, talk about then, yeah, how someone gets involved with the mental health court system. If they're, if they're in a position where they might need this, need this type of support system, need this type of help? Sure. And I think that's a, that's a great question. So we have some, some laws that formulate the structure of mental health court. And we've had mental health court in Tuscola County for a little over three years at this point. Okay. So July, 2018 was when it first formally started. Now I became district court judge in August of 2019. When I first started, Judge Gearhart, who's our circuit court judge, was doing mental health court and sobriety court. 
And she asked if I would take one of those over. And I knew what my choice instantly would be. I I wanted to do mental health court. And it's near and dear to me uh, based on my experience, based on uh, what I saw when I was an attorney. And I realized, you know, how important this could be for people and reducing the times that we see them in the legal system. So how it works is um, somebody is uh, being charged with a crime and it can be a felony, which is um, a crime that could be punished by prison time or a misdemeanor where somebody could be punished by up to a year in jail. So we accept both felony cases and misdemeanor cases. Typically how it would work is we would have that person fill out a referral form to mental health court. And then we would send that person through various assessments. Uh, We have an assessment that we put them through. And then we also have to link them up with um, Tuscola Behavioral to see if they qualify. Because by law, the person has to have a serious mental illness as defined by law, a serious emotional disturbance, a developmental disability, or a co-occurring substance use disorder. So what that means is they have a mental health concern, but they also have an issue with substances. Okay. So we have to make sure that legally they fall in this category so we can accept them in the first place. Gotcha. Also, there's certain crimes they could have in the past that would prevent them from being eligible for a mental health court. So for instance, if somebody had a a criminal sexual conduct case, uh, that would not be a person by law that we could take to our program. So once Tuscola Behavioral Health has certified that they would fall into one of these categories, then this information is taken back to our team And during the team meetings that we spoke about, we're going to have a very open and honest dialogue about the people who we're considering. And we discuss and we hear all different perspectives. If I have prior experience with that person, I'll offer my take. Uh, The prosecutor who's dealt with that person will offer their take. Uh, The defense attorneys, if they're representing that person, they'll offer their take. Uh, We'll hear from um, mental health. We'll hear from just everyone who wants to opine on the topic. And then ultimately we decide and we decide as a team Mm -hmm. if this person will be admitted into our program. Uh, Once they are, then we will uh, tell uh, them and their attorney they've been accepted. So at that point, they can finalize their case. So then they offer a plea, whether it be in circuit court or in district court, and we work out a plea typically where as a condition of their probation, they will go into mental health court. And I would say this is typically the case, not every time, but typically the case. If that person is going into mental health court, then we're going to hold any jail time in abeyance. We're not going to give them any jail time because we want to get them engaged in services right away. Okay. So it's attractive for criminal defendants because typically they can avoid jail time. Now, obviously, if they don't follow through with that, we have options for that. And sure. if ultimately they don't complete the program, that's considered to be a violation of probation, which could lead to jail time being um, assessed. Gotcha. 
So that's how it first initially looks. Tell me about the commitment that's expected of them. That is always the ultimate question is we expect a lot out of our participants. And whenever we introduce a new person to mental health court, I give them the same spiel. So I'm sure that everyone is sick and tired of me saying the exact same thing over and over again. But but I mean this. And I say to every new person coming in, we are going to ask you to do things that you've never had to do in your entire life. This will be the absolute hardest thing that you have ever been asked to do. That's the first two sentences I'll say to those people. Right. Because... I don't want to sugarcoat this. Yeah. I mean, making wholesale transformative changes in your life yeah. is not easy. I mean, you know, if we last 10 days with our New Year's resolution, we're doing pretty well. And now we're asking these people to change the way they're hardwired yeah. for a lifetime. So, I mean, it's not going to be easy. And I don't mince words when it comes to that. So I am very open and honest and upfront with them. And I also tell them, and I probably should not as a judge, but frankly, I I think it works. So I say it. I say, look, no one has ever gotten through mental health court unscathed. So nobody has ever been 100% compliant with everything that we ask of you. Sure. I am not stupid. I am realistic. I'm a realist. I know you're going to have problems from time to time. But when you do, the most important thing that you can do is to be honest with myself and the team. If you're honest with, with me, if you're honest with the team, then we can work with that. We can work with that. Now, there may be some sanctions for that behavior. Sure, depending on, I'm sure, how egregious, right? Exactly. But we're not going to give up on you if you're honest with us and you want this to work. This will not work if you're not honest and you're not committed. So right away, I tell people what to expect. So they can expect this. They can expect at least 18 months, if not 24 months of being in mental health court. So during that time, they will be asked to come to court twice per month. So after those team meetings that I spoke about, Mm -hmm. what happens is all of our participants come in. And I have a five to 10 minute conversation with all of them about what's happened in the last two weeks. So they have to come to court on a very frequent basis. They have to meet with their probation officer on a very frequent basis. They have to call a drug testing hotline every day and they have to test depending on the needs that they came into the mental health court system with two to four times per week depending on their needs. Uh, Some people may be on a tether device where they're uh, confined to their house or that continually monitors whether or not they're using alcohol. That person is going to have to meet with their therapist and counselor or case manager. It all really depends on the treatment plan that they come up with. So they may have to meet with those people several times per week as well. We may order that person to go to peer 360 meetings, AA meetings, again, whatever their need is. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's plan is a little bit different, but it's probably fair to say, Adam, that every day 
during your time in mental health court, especially the first six to nine months, you're probably doing something every day associated with mental health court. That makes a lot of sense to me. My background in is in some wellness spaces, marketing director for a community center. And we used to talk about getting people to make wholesale changes in their fitness and their life. And we'd run challenges, but we would know that it's not just this, you know, eight week challenge. It, 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 it takes, it takes more than the eight weeks to make an actual change. And there's some studies that I've read where it's around 120 days. Now that's roughly four months. And when you said to me that it's 18 to 24, I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. And I was not expecting it to be short, but I was actually very relieved when you said 18 to 24 months, because I thought to myself that, that to me gives the time for that person to really feel supported, to really understand why they want to make this change. And then it gives your team time to work with them, right? Because there's obviously, like you mentioned, there's going to be potential, you know, relapses or I don't know if that's quite the right word, but demonstrations of maybe breaking a, a rule or something. So that length of time and that commitment is outstanding. And it has me kind of asking the following question of capacity. I'm curious about capacity. How many people can you help uh, and, and handle when you're talking about, you know, being with someone for 18, 24 months at a time? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. So we are a grant-based program. And so all of our Michigan or all of our funding comes from the state of Michigan. We get our budget for the year and we kind of tailor what we can do based on the budget that we receive. Sure. So currently we have uh, 12 people in mental health court. I would say that given our current budgetary constraints, any more than 15 would be very, very difficult for us to handle. Now, I would love for that to expand. I, I, really, I really would. Trust me, I would. And I hope that someday that it can. Uh, right now, with the infrastructure that we have in place, because we're still in the relative infancy of this program for us, and even in the state of Michigan, I mean, this has only been around for about 10, 11 years. Gotcha. So, I mean, even in the state, we're not talking about a long-standing, well-established program. We're talking about things that are relatively new, uh, but it's new for us too. It's been about three years. I want to be—I want to be bigger. I want to service more people, but I don't want to sacrifice the quality of the work that we're doing for those people. And that's always the question, right? Is when do you get too big? And sure. when you get too big, do you sacrifice quality? And for right now, I feel like we can provide really quality service to about 15 people max. But ultimately, as this gains more recognition, and this is uh, recognized as more of a accepted practice, then I think that the, the grants will get bigger, the infrastructure will get better, and we'll have professionals in the area that can also help us. Because again, like we talked about, we need the coordination of so many professionals within our local community to make this work. Right. And so we need those people here too. Um, but you're going to see an explosion of this in the next few years. So Michigan gave out to all of its treatment courts. So that's sobriety court, drug court, mental health court, veterans court. They gave about $17 million in grant funding last year. 
And that's increased a ton over the last few years. Give it five years. And I really firmly believe that number will be doubled. So let me ask you, uh, you have belief in that. And I'm judging, and I kind of, we already touched on it briefly. But the belief that that's going to increase, I believe, stems from the idea that this is making an impact. And, And even though you've been practicing it for about three years in your area, I want you to touch on the impact that you've seen. Any stories that you're able to share, willing to share, or welcome? Talk about the impact that you've seen. And then if you have the opportunity to mention the statistics, because everybody's different. Everybody absorbs information differently. Some people, some people say, oh, I want the numbers. And other people say, all I need is to know that this person is feeling good. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, but first just touch on uh, the impact that you've seen in the time that you've been running the mental health court. Absolutely. And that is uh, by far the most rewarding thing that I've done during my time as a judge. And I really can't think of anything else that will replicate that feeling. So I can't um, divulge names and I can't divulge personal circumstances, but without doing that, we had this one person who their first few months in mental health court were as rocky as they possibly can be. Sure. And this person had numerous violations their first three months. And worst of all, they were not being honest about these violations. So again, if, we see this pattern of conduct and there's no admission to it, then what can we really help? Mm-hmm. So we were beyond frustrated with this person. And Judge Gerhardt was the judge at the time. And I was observing her. And I remember Judge Gerhardt having a conversation with this person and telling them, you're out of the program. This person gave this powerful statement about why they needed this court. And even though their actions have not yet shown that, they really wanted to be in this court. Right. And it was one of the most moving things that I've ever seen in my entire life. And Judge Gearhart gave her a chance to stay in the program. Now that's step one. We all know that some people can talk, you know, some people can give you that lip service. Now we needed to see some action on her part. Mm-hmm. And so I took over shortly thereafter as mental health court judge. And this person came so far. And so in the next 12 months, this person radically changed their lives. I mean, I can't even, I can't even really fully comprehend even to this day uh, how far they've come. It's not this broad sort of general statement, but they have completely transformed their life. And everything that led to them facing legal consequences in the past, they have removed from their life. And this person is is happy. They're optimistic about their future. They're, They're sober. They're embracing this new lease on life that they never had. And I remember speaking to this person at graduation and look, I, since I had kids, I'm a softie and I will, I will <laughs> Me too. cry. I will cry. And I have, I have no problems with that. During mental health court graduation, if you want to see a grown man, just an absolute mess, then come see me and you'll see me cry throughout because like it's personal to me. And I remember addressing this person and just telling them how proud I am and how far they've come. And it was like, 
it was like this person was in my life for for years, not just these 24 months, but like this was my best friend or my sister or somebody. And that's the emotion that I felt. And that's how connected we get to these people. We feel this uh, relationship with them and we build this relationship with them. And I cannot imagine something more rewarding than handing her her certificate and knowing that beyond the certificate, beyond just completing things and going through the motions like we talked about before, that this person was set up where they would never have to worry about coming back to court again. And I firmly believe that I will never see that person in a court unless she comes to visit me, but I (laughs) never have a black robe on when I see her. Right. And so, you know, the personal stories are frankly too many to name, and that's a good problem. That's a really good problem. Statistically, what I've, what I've seen locally and also statewide is fewer of these people are coming back. Okay. So I was looking at a study that was conducted by our Supreme Court, and they looked at fiscal year 2020, and they looked at a number of stats, but the one that stuck out to me, Adam, was they looked at, compared to other people who had convictions around the same time that they did, individuals who went through the traditional more mm-hmm. old school method of of probation or jail time with probation, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. They looked at the chances for that person to come back with a new charge and a new conviction within three years and five years. And so they've been collecting this data for, for a while, obviously, and they looked at 2020. So if somebody went through mental health court, their chances of coming back through the system with a new conviction within three years was 14%, which seems high to people until you put it into context. For somebody who did not go through mental health court, the chances of them coming back through court with a new conviction within three years was 39%. Over half. I mean, that's double. I mean, we're going from 14%, almost three times that to 39%. That's what I meant. I mean, that to me is remarkable. Now, they went one step further and went five years. For people who have been through mental health court, the chances of coming back within five years for a new conviction was 26%. Again, seems like, wow, that's one out of every four people. That's a lot. For the people who did not go through that program, the percentage was 48%, almost half. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so again, when you put it into context and you look at the numbers for the people who have not gone through this program, I mean, you can see this huge, huge difference. So that means a lot of things for us. Number one, it means that this model works. Number two, it means that those people are going to have far less life consequences. And number three, from a fiscal business side, I guess, of the court, it means less people that we have to provide services to, which is good in this sense. It allows us to expand programs like this, right? You know, because if we can dedicate more time to the cases we have, if we have less cases and we can dedicate more time to those cases, then these numbers will continue to plummet. 
Right. Those numbers are really astounding. I know you, you had alluded to them in our pre-conversation and even in this discussion. It really is amazing to think that, I mean, you cut it, you cut it right in half at that five-year mark. It's, you know, I'm sure someone, yeah, could look at it and say, well, one in four would still right. essentially, well, that's better than two or four. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, and, and the opportunity for that one person that the opportunity for them to go out into the world and make a better place because, and have a better impact on everyone around them. That's huge too. I mean, you, you've got to, we've got to really think about not only are we helping that one person who's in this court, uh, in the mental health court system, but that one person can have a very positive impact on so many more. It's a web, you know, it's, it's oh, it like is. networking. So you're a thousand percent right. Am and, and one of the, one of the stories that I love out of sobriety court is uh, we've had, this person go through sobriety court and now they're a certified recovery coach right. who works for Peer 360. And I have personally linked up people in my court, mental health court, with this person because I know their unique story and their unique perspective. And the people that I work with in mental health court will come back and they're like, I am so glad that you put me in contact with this person. And you know, that's a beautiful thing to me. And ultimately, one of my goals is this: I want to have a mentor system in place with my court. So when I see somebody come through with a mental illness and a drug problem, I know that I can link this person up with a past graduate who presented with the same issues mm-hmm. or an alcohol problem or, or this. And I just want to build that network. I want to build that team because again, the whole foundation of mental health court is the concept of a team. And so when they leave mental health court, and they don't have that structure anymore. I want them to still have these people in place. I want them to have the support system in place. And um, if we can link up our past graduates who have been through the program and they know what to expect and they can guide the people through the rough patches and potentially serving jail time and, and facing me some days when I'm not happy with them, then it's only going to make that person's chances of success with mental health court that much greater. Jason, I'd like to, you know, we're getting near time and I'd like to thank you for the opportunity for you to talk to us about mental, mental illness and mental health court and the important work that you're doing. And I also want to give you the chance to, um, you know, to, to just, uh, if there's anything else you want to cover, if there's anything else you want to say before we wrap up, here's your opportunity. Well, the one thing I will say is this, and, and we talked about this in the, pre-conversation, Adam. I am not a mental health professional. I am a judge. I am a lawyer and I deal with mental health court. If any of you listening to this are suffering from mental health concerns or know somebody who is, please go get help. There is absolutely no shame whatsoever in seeking help with a therapist, a counselor, or taking medication to treat the issues that you do have. And that is the one wall that I still want to break through because even though mental health concerns have gained more acceptance and we see celebrities, we see sports stars talk about this more openly now. Uh, Simone Biles, obviously at the Olympics, Mm -hmm. she talked very candidly about this. Uh, We're seeing sports stars who have walked away. Lane Johnson from the Eagles, uh, Calvin Ridley yesterday, wide receiver for the Falcons, you can tell him a sports fan, uh, decided that he wanted to step away for a while to address these concerns. I mean, 
these have always been present, but they're finally being talked about in a way that more and more people are understanding. So if you're going through this, if you're struggling, please get help and you will not, you will not regret that decision whatsoever. So that, that's the biggest thing that I can impress upon people. And the sooner that you get help, the sooner that you recognize this and make an admission that I do need help and I want to get help, then all the things that I'm talking about here today, hopefully are never a part of your life. Right. You never have to worry about mental health court. You never have to worry about the legal system because if we can intervene at an early stage, then I am beyond convinced that the numbers that we talked about, the frustrations that I've experienced with uh, the court systems in the past, but we're not going to see those things as much. And we're not going to have the volume that we do at this point. So uh, please, please ask for whatever help you need. And the last thing that I wanted to say, Adam, is I have some great probation officers who work for me. Mm-hmm. And they are not your typical probation officers. And they are individuals who deeply care about the um, well-being of the people that are on their caseload. So we have implemented a lot of these issues within our traditional model of probation. So somebody may not qualify for mental health court because, again, you have to uh, legally qualify. Right. But we've still taken the concepts and we've implemented those in different ways to assist people because, again, we know that it works. Mm -hmm. And um, just know that if you come to court, even though I may have to give you jail time, or I may give you a talking to, I do that only if it's the option that I feel like will actually work. But my main focus, uh, my main focus is to make sure that somebody is rehabilitated to the point where we don't have to see them again, especially for the same concerns. Jason, those are such good messages to get out there. And uh, again, I'd like to just thank you for your time. Um, there'll be links in the description of the podcast uh, to different areas or, or different organizations for you to connect with if you need to. Um, we will provide that. And thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate your time.